0: Redeeming the time. And uh, and I love this lesson. I was going through the details of this, and I'm like, oh, this is so amazing. So I hope you guys really enjoy this lesson. If not, then there's something wrong with me. Because I love it. And you guys might not. So, anyway. <laughs> Alright, so we're gonna be talking about being divinely designed by God. Before we begin, flip over your paper. to the backside that's blank. Sorry, if you were just about to fold it. Alright, so flip it over, and I want you to write. Two different things. So the first thing that I want you to write is one thing that you like about yourself Oh, and then uh, the other thing is I want you to write is I want you to write two things you don't like about yourself and that you cannot change and you wish you could change, but you can't. But there's two things that you do not like about yourself. And if you can't write anything, you need to get saved. (laughs) But things about yourself that you may not be able to change that you just don't like that you wish you could change. So go ahead and do that. Write those two things down. And then you can flip your paper back over. Because we're gonna talk about that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I'll give you maybe twenty seconds. You should know these things. Gracie, you're likable. There's something. Come on. I mean I can think of
1: plenty of things <laughs> that I'd like to change.
0: And you can't cheat off the person next to you. It doesn't work like that. This is not one of those things.
1: Yeah.
0: Anything. Anything. Emotionally, physically, anything. Alright, ten more seconds. I can't write that. I wish I'll go. No, and you're not sharing them. We're not? Four, three, two, one.
1: All right. Okay.
0: So these are things that you should know. So hopefully you guys were able to answer them. And if not, you can kind of think about it and flip your paper over as we're going through the lesson. But okay, now flip back over. All right. We're going to come back to what you wrote here in a minute. Okay. So here's our verse. Ephesians 5.15. Seeing... Then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So we've been talking about redeeming the time. And we talked about this last week that we're supposed to walk circumspectly, which means what? Yes. Being very very like, observant. Yes, observant, that you know what's going on. It's like when you're walking, some of you do, don't walk circumspectly and you trip and fall because you're just accident prone. But <laughs> you walk circumspectly because you're looking around and you're paying attention to what's going on. If you're walking through the woods, you have to walk circumspectly or you're going to fall on your face. It's really easy to do that. <laughs> so walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So we are called to walk circumspectly. Those of us that are born again are called to walk circumspectly. It is part of God's will for your life, but to redeem the time. God has given you time that you are called to redeem. And so this whole series that we're going to go through is how do you redeem the time? And it begins with our lesson tonight, being divinely designed by God. So if you don't understand this and you don't believe this, then you are never going to redeem the time that God has given you. You are going to waste it. And so there's a lot of misconceptions about, I mean, a lot of things. When you get into the realm of, of psychology and self-love and, and self-gratification and, and all this kind of stuff, there are so many different philosophies There's so many different methods of psychology that people can get into. So we want to get biblical. And so in order for us to get biblical, we have to go with the Bible says on this particular topic, divinely designed by God. So we're going to start off with a couple points that we need to set the stage before getting into Psalm 139. So go ahead and turn your Bible to Psalm 139. We're going to get there in a minute. I'm going to run through these points. We're going to explain them. I've got the verses up on the screen so we can clip through point one and point two so we can spend most of our time in Psalm 139. So you are divinely designed by God. What does that mean? Well, it starts off with this, and that's point number one. Psalm 139. So turn to Psalm 139. But it begins with this. So point number one, God is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. What does that mean? Yeah.
1: He's all-powerful,
0: He's everywhere, and He knows everything. Yes. So these are big words that we don't typically walk around using, but that God is all-powerful, omnipotent, or omnipotent, omnipresent, so He's everywhere all at the same time, and omniscient, so He knows all things. This is a very basic theological truth that should change our lives. He is all-powerful. Everything is under His control. He is everywhere all at the same time. He sees everything and he knows everything. Okay? And you'll see why this is very important. Because you have been divinely designed by God. So some verses I wanted to throw up on this one is Revelation 1. 8. Jesus says this, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. So He is everything in between. He's the beginning, He's the end. He is, He was, and He is to come, the Almighty. So this is just one verse that displays this truth. That is Jesus. If you're willing to believe the Bible, that is Jesus Christ. He is the beginning and the end. Revelation 22:13. 13. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I love this verse. Isaiah 46:10. God says this about Himself, declaring the end from the beginning. Notice how He said that. He didn't say declaring the beginning from the end. He says, declaring the end from the beginning. So he knew the end before it even happened. He knows everything. This is one of the verses that I use to talk about how the Bible is written backwards. The reason why God picked the certain people and events recorded in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through Revelation is because he declares the end from the beginning. He knows the story so well, he can tell it to you backwards. And so he's he's chosen specific people, events, and circumstances in his book, For a reason. I love that. So he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So he knows absolutely everything, and his counsel cannot be dismissed. Proverbs 21.30 There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. It doesn't matter what anybody does. There is no wisdom or anything that can come against God. No one can defeat him. No one, no political agenda, no leader of any country, no religious leader, no movement can stop God from doing his thing. Nothing. He wins because he knows everything. He sees everything. He's everywhere all at the same time. Isaiah 40, 22. This is another great one. It is he talking about God that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. He sits on the earth and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. They're nothing. Like when it comes to God and his almighty power, you know we are nothing. It doesn't matter how magnificent a person is or how big their reign is or their influence or their power or their authority. They are like grasshoppers to God. There's just a drop in the bucket. And then this is another great one, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. God inhabits eternity. So this whole concept of time, we talked about this last week. Time is something that God has created and he inhabits it. So let me explain to you this way. When it comes to a timeline and we experience life as it unfolds, right? So as we experience life as it unfolds, when it comes to God, he sees everything right now. And this is weird for us to understand, but this is true. When God looks at human history, He sees Adam and Eve, and He sees us all at the same time. He inhabits eternity. This is the way God thinks. He is magnificent. God is amazing. So he that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So even though he is high and lofty and he inhabits this thing that we call time, he still wants to dwell with those of us that are willing to humble ourselves and have a contrite heart. That's amazing. I love that about God. So that's God. That's God. He is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. So why does that matter? Number two, God is very purposeful. God is purposeful. He can do anything. God can literally do anything. And so everything that he does has a specific purpose. There is nothing that God does that has no purpose. There are many things we do that have no purpose. (laughs) Right? There's a lot of things that we do that we just, whatever, we, we have no purpose in doing it. Like it's a complete waste of time. But God doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste his resources. He is very purposeful. He knows what he's doing. Some great verses on this one. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Everything that God created from the very beginning, before anything went awry and sent it into the picture, everything that God created was for His honor, for His glory, for His pleasure. See, many of us, when we, when we, when we start living our life, we have the opposite attitude. Like, we think that our time that we have is for our pleasure. What I have found over the years, which I'm not much farther along than you guys, but if you look at my particular timeline, and if you look at the average lifespan, my life is more than half over, which is weird to think about. But my life is more than half over. Some of you guys are a fourth down that line. Some of you guys are a third down that line, if you live according to the biblical average of age. And what I have found that when I start living for me, It's fun for a period of time, and it's fulfilling for a period of time, but at the end of it, it doesn't really mean anything. I almost feel worse. Like, I almost feel like, ugh. But every time that I've chosen to redeem my time and let God have his way in me, and I choose to do the things that God wants me to do... It's always been incredible because then I realized I was made for his pleasure, not mine. And when I'm doing things with my life that are according to his pleasure, for his honor and for his glory, that's when I actually feel alive. I do. And that's the way it is because we were created for his honor, for his glory. Isaiah forty five eighteen, for thus the Lord, thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I love this verse because it clearly shows that what he created, the earth, he created it not in vain. He formed it and he had a purpose for it. That's what God does. That's what God does. Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. So even if a king is outright rebellious against God, he will still use that king and that king's heart to accomplish his will because that's what he does. He's that powerful. So there are many of us that might be a little bit distraught by Biden now being our president. Maybe some of you might be happy that Trump's out at the end of the day. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Whoever's in charge, God's going to take their heart and He's going to turn it whithersoever He will. And that person is going to accomplish God's will. It's going to happen that way. Proverbs 16 verse 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. My life is a living testimony of this verse. There have been things in my life that I have wanted to do and God has just like shut that door. And then I'm like, well, I guess nothing i can do about that so i guess i'm going to go this direction shut that door well then i'll go here oh this door's open so i can keep going through it so you can make up all the plans that you want but at the end of your days god directs your steps he directs your steps so it's much better to just be submissive on the front end and just say god whatever you want from me that's what i want so that's point number two and then point number three which i got a typo in my slide supposed to be three God divinely designed you on purpose for here and now. So he is all powerful. He is everywhere. He knows everything. And when God creates something, he creates it on purpose with a purpose. And so that leads us to point number three that God divinely designed you on purpose for here and now. Give me some people to read some verses. All right, Timmy, you can take the first one. So Psalm 71:6, uh, Jeremiah 1, 5. Isaiah 49, verse 1, and then take 5, verse 5 on that one. And then um, go ahead and take Galatians 1, 15 and 16. So God has divinely designed you on purpose for here and now. Now, some of you may not like where you're at. You may not. You may not like the family that you were born in. You may not like this period of history that you've been born in. You may not like the way that God even designed you because we're going to see in Psalm 139 that God designed you the way that he did on purpose. But here's the biblical truth behind it. God knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. You are not a mistake. Your circumstances and your family, your personality, your strengths, your weaknesses, this time in history, all of it, all of it, is in God's hands, all of it, all of it, I am alive today here and now in this room speaking to you because God wills it, if God did not want this to happen it would not happen, Trump is out of office and Biden is in today because God wants it to happen and he's going to use it. All of these circumstances and everything, and I'm telling you, these are things we're not going to understand until eternity future. When we step into eternity future and we kind of go back behind the curtain, that's one thing I loved about in school when I was in musical theater and I was doing plays and stuff like that. You know, you'd have the presentation of what you were doing, but there was a whole different world going on behind the curtain, right? So some of it really bad, but (laughs) there's things happening behind the curtain. So when we step into eternity future and we get behind the curtain, you're going to be able to see how everything was put together. And it is going to be incredible. There are things that we're going to know then about what God allowed or what God did on purpose to accomplish something that we're going to be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing that's that was perfect like god you know what you're doing and of course he's like yeah i kind of know what i'm doing (laughs) you know i don't know if he's going to say it like that sure it'll probably be a little bit better because he's better than me so but those are the things that are going to happen and so when we look at our life and there are certain things that we just we don't like we don't like our circumstances we don't like how god made us we don't like what's going on we don't like our world we don't like we don't like we don't like we don't we get so focused on that and you don't understand that god is still in control Everything that is happening is not like, oh, man, I didn't see that coming like like that doesn't happen to God. What am I going to do now? I mean, like like God doesn't operate on that level. We do. We do. We freak out. God never freaks out on anything. And so you have to understand that about you. You have to understand that about your life and you got to understand how precious you are. So let's read these verses one after another. So let's hit the first one. Everyone else pay attention. It's Psalm 71, verse 6. Go ahead. By thee have I been holding up from the womb. thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. I love that verse. God, you're the reason why I was formed in my mother's womb and I was born. So I will praise you. Because God did it. So that means there's a reason for it. And this is why suicide is so anti-biblical. I understand people struggle with depression and anxiety and things like that. But you read a verse like that and how that person said, God, I was born. So I'm going to praise you because there's a purpose behind it. God has a specific plan that he wants for that particular person, for you, for me, for all of us. All right, next verse, Jeremiah
1: 1.5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee, and I
0: ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So that's Jeremiah, and he says, before, God said about him, before you were even born, I knew you by name, and I knew exactly what I wanted you to do. Now, whether or not Jeremiah did that's a whole different ballgame. But God had a plan for Jeremiah, and he says, before that even happened, I knew you were going to be born, I knew your name, I knew what I wanted you to do. All right, next verse. Isaiah forty nine Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people from far, that the Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath He made mention of my name. Same thing about Isaiah. Same thing. Almost the exact same as Jeremiah, verse five. And now saith the Lord, that for me from the womb to be His servant to bring Jacob again to Him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Okay, so even in that one, Isaiah says, it's my purpose to bring Jacob back to God again. Now, according to the events that happened historically in the book of Isaiah, did Jacob or Israel come back to God? Did they really repent and come back? No, some did, but it ended in their captivity. So could you say he failed? No, because he actually went and did exactly what God told him to do. So next verse, Galatians 1, 15 and 16, about Paul. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with the flesh and blood. Okay, same thing with Paul. So God knew Paul before he was born. He had a specific purpose for him. He had a reason for his existence, and he wanted Paul to fulfill it. Okay, now here's the thing. Well, yeah, but that's Jeremiah. Well, that's Isaiah. Well, that's Paul. Okay, how is it any different for you? How many of you were born into this world? I was. (laughs) Is anybody not born into this world? We all are. So, if we're all born into this world, God says the exact same thing about you. So, what does He want you to do? What has He called you to do? And are you going to do it? Because if He didn't want you to be born, if He didn't have a purpose for you, you would not be here. That is the truth. And you are extremely valuable to God's plan. Extremely. You have no idea. I don't even have a clue. I have a small clue because I've just lived a little longer. But you have no idea how significantly important you are in God's plan. And only you can do it because there's no one else like you. So let's talk about Psalm 139. I love this passage. This is such a good passage. Psalm 139. All right, I need to get there myself. That'd be important. Okay, verse one. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compass me, encompass my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all of my ways. Ah, the truth in just those three verses. Look at verse 1 again. Thou hast searched me and known me. What do you notice about that? What's the tense there? What's the verb tense there? Past. God hast searched you and known you. He knows you. Like to you, everything that, that he knows about you is already past. He knows you so well, everything about you in your entire life and your character and all the things you're going to learn, everything is already in the past. And yet he still cares about you and he still loves you. Like I feel at times, God, do you even know who I am? Like deep inside the things that I think, the stuff in my heart, do you even know who I am? And God's like, yeah, I have searched you and I have known you. I know you. He knows when we sit down. He understands our thought when it's afar off, when we don't even understand our own thoughts. He knows our path. He knows when we lay down. He's acquainted with all of our ways. Look at verse 4. For there is not a word in my my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Before we even speak, he knows exactly what we're going to say. Thou hast set me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. So you're in front of me, you're behind me, and your hand's upon my life. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And that is so true. Like, why would God waste his time with me? Like, I feel that way sometimes. Why would he do that? Sometimes I feel like I get in God's way more than me being a benefit to him. But yet he still loves and cares about me. And I'm still important to his plan. It's incredible. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, verse 7, or whither shall I flee from from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. He sees everything. He's everywhere. He knows everything there is to know about us. He knows us, past, present, and future. He knows us, and He still cares about us. Letter B, He meticulously made you. Meticulously made you. Verse 13, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. So the first thing it says here is that he has possessed my reins. Now, what are reins? Anyone know that? That's a, that's a phrase in your King James Bible that, that we don't typically use. But what are reins? Yeah.
1: Like what you use to like control. A horse
0: okay yeah so it controls the direction of the horse now your reins the reins of your heart it's how it's used in your bible the reins of your heart your heart is the seat of your emotions and your passions it, it's what makes you you it's what makes you unique and individual from anybody else god has possessed that like he knows that intimately the way that you are designed your makeup Everything about your personality, your passions, your desires, your gifts, your abilities, everything, even the things you're not good at, God designed you that way. Like he wanted you to be that way. He has possessed it from the very beginning. And then it says in verse 13, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. He protected you. He kept you safe. He allowed the whole gestation process to occur so that way you could be born and you could actually be alive today. He protected you, and He kept you. I mean, there are times where I remember, gosh, man, it was, it was, um, uh, it was when you fell, when Megan fell. She was pregnant with Lucas. Oh, okay. So it was in the middle of the night, and uh, and she had got up to use the bathroom. And we were living at our old house up in Akron, and these steps were steep. Like I remember as a kid, I was afraid of these steps, and so um, it was his grandpa's house. Yeah, you didn't you didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it was my grandpa's house. And uh, did we take the carpet off at that point in time, or is it still on? No, the carpet's what made me slip. Okay, and then after that, we took the carpet off. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she was walking down the stairs, and she slipped on the carpet. It's pretty much the whole way down. And completely broke her tailbone. And I had never heard her call my name like that in my life. And I woke up out of a dead sleep, which I don't, I don't wake up out of, out of dead sleeps. Like, if you know me, I sleep, I sleep hard. Like, there was a car crash outside my house that woke up pretty much everyone except for me. Like, that just doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. But in that situation, you know, she needed me. I recognized there was something different in her voice. And I got up and I ran downstairs. And we went to the ER just to make sure that the baby was fine. And here he was completely fine. Now, she wasn't. She was in a whole lot of pain, breaking her tailbone, and it still caused you issues to this day. But even in those scary moments, like God protected Lucas, protected and kept him safe. She fell down like he was like 13. He was probably 13 because that's unlucky. 13 steps. I'll just say it was. Um, And it was one of those things where it could have gone very, very bad. It could have gone very bad. And there are other stories of pregnant women that have gone through even worse things. When it comes to car accidents, falling, all sorts of stuff where their babies have been protected. Now, sometimes it doesn't. And those things happen from time to time. But it says right there, God protected me. I'm alive today because God protected me. He wanted me to be here. I can't give an answer as to why he doesn't want other people to be here at this point in time. That's a question I have for him. Why would he allow some of these things to unfold? You know, even when it comes to the issue of abortion... Why would God allow something horrendous as the murder of babies to exist? I have a hard time with that. But at the same time, I know what the Bible says, that as soon as that baby has been killed, it's immediately in the presence of God. And now he's with that child. And you think God's ticked? You bet he is. That baby was in that womb and he had a purpose and a plan. And then we stepped in and murdered it. You think God's upset about that? Absolutely. So there's a whole host of questions that can come with that. But here he says, I've covered thee in your mother's womb. I protected you. So the reason why you're born into this world is because I kept you safe. I made sure that you came into this world and you have a plan and you have a purpose. So he covered you in the womb. Verse 14. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. He made you with fear and wonder. That's like God was not afraid of you. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that He made you. When He was making you, He stands in awe and wonder and reverence at you. At you. Like, when God looks at you, when you are being knit together in your mother's womb, He looks at you and He is amazed at you. At you. Like, that is what the Bible says, that He stands in awe of you. Because there's no one else that's like you. I get glimpses of this with my own kids at times. And it's really cool being a parent. It really is. But there are things that unfold with my kids where you just stand back and you're just like, that's, that's, that's awesome. Sometimes it's the things that they say. Sometimes it's the way they look at you. Sometimes it's the way they hug you, the way they cuddle you. Sometimes it's when they get hurt and they come to you. There are certain things as a parent that you're like, that's like a little bit about how God feels. I remember when Lily was born, I was freaked out of my mind being a dad. And I remember, I've always wanted to be a dad, ever since I've been little, I've always wanted to be a dad. And I remember when I held Lily in my arms the first time, I was so scared. I thought I was going to break her, which I think is pretty common (laughs) among new dads. And I was even dressing her for the first time, and Megan's like, you're not going to break her. I'm like, I feel like I am. But I remember holding her and looking at her and thinking, this is incredible. Like, God took me and he took my wife and he made this. Like, this is unbelievable. And then as she's been growing and she grows up and now she's going to be 11 on Saturday. And I'm like, what in the world? This is insane. And they start to see her personality and who God has made her and the things she's good at and the things she's not good at. I mean, all those things are stunning to me as a father. And that's just a small sliver of God, how God feels about you and how special you are. You're not an accident at all. When He was putting you together, He knew your end. He knew what was going to happen. And he, when He put you together, He stands in fear and wonder and admiration at you. It's incredible. I love that. And here's the side of that that you need to understand. You need to understand how precious you are in God's eyes. And so... This gives you reason to be content with how God made you. Because if God looks at you that way, and you don't look at yourself that way, then there's something wrong from your perspective. Verse 15. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. So the process that God brought you together, it is very secretive and mysterious. Now, doctors can tell you all about it and they can detail it out and they can give you diagrams and they can give you all sorts of stuff. We're actually going to check out a video here in a little bit. Um, It's really unique. But how does that happen? Like they can't, they can't tell you exactly how it happens. I mean, they can tell you how, but they can't tell you how. It's incredible. And the fact that I mean, I remember going through when we took birthing classes, which was quite an adventure, but when we took birthing classes, it was one of those things that as we were going through, I was amazed at how God made a woman's body to be able to grow another life soul inside of the body and then the process that it went through every single stage and then even when that baby was being born and how god uniquely designed biologically the the woman's body to be able to birth a child like this garbage about gender fluidity that's all it is, is this garbage. Because you take a look at actual science, and you see that God has, without a doubt, created two completely different genders. And there are things that women can do that men cannot. I mean, you look at that whole process, and it is stunning. It is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so, this whole fascinating thing I mean, it's really interesting how God just is involved in all those details. And at the same time, we are made from the elements of the earth. That's what he's talking about here when he says that I was curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. When you go into the scriptures and you study this out, and I gave you a whole bunch of scripture references there from 1 Corinthians 15, Genesis 2, Job 4. Uh, let's take a look at one of them. Go to Job chapter 10. This one's actually probably the best. It summarizes it the best. So hold your spot in Psalm 139, and then take a look at Job 10. So just back to the left a little bit. Job chapter 10. All right, Job 10. Someone read verse 8 and 9. All right, Carson, go
1: ahead. Thine hands have made me and fashioned me together around about, yet thou dost destroy me. Remember, I beseech thee that thou hast made me as the clay, and wilt thou
0: bring me into dust again? Okay, so the Bible oftentimes, especially the references I gave you, refers that we're made out of clay, that we're made out of dust, and that when we die, we return unto dust again. And that's literally what happens. We are carbon-based life forms, and when we die and our bodies degenerate, it returns back to dirt. We are made from dirt. God said that in Genesis chapter 2. There's nothing different about it. But it says in verse, uh, where is it at? Verse, uh, verse eight, Thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about. It's the same thing we're reading in Psalm 139, that God has taken that dirt, that, that, that stuff of the earth, and he has made you and he's fashioned you round about. And when we die, we're going to go back to that clay, that dust again. So we are curiously made in the lowest parts of the earth, from the earth, literally, is what it's talking about there. So that's verse 15. Go back to Psalm 139. Verse 16. Now, I love this verse. Verse 16 is amazing. You have been assembled. God assembled you according to his book. So your blank there is DNA. DNA. Verse 16. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book... All my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Now, the way that's worded is very unique, and I love the way that it's worded here. So, what he's talking about here is the whole concept, the scientific concept of DNA, and so we'll take a look at this in a minute. There's a really good video that shows this. But many of you guys have studied DNA already in, in, in science, right? And Brooke, you probably even teach this, right? Teaching it right now. That's incredible. That's cool. So whenever you examine DNA, how do they break apart DNA? How do they start labeling stuff? Like when you look at a strand of DNA. Oh, I don't know. I forget. There's like. Protein, glani, <laughs> Clearly. <titasine and> <laughs> English I don't yeah, we don't need to know the full words, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the letters, right? <laughs> yeah, four letters. Thank you, Brooke, the science teacher. Yes. There's basically four letters. So if you take your entire DNA, you can label every aspect of that DNA according to four letters. And what's interesting about that is that it is your DNA that is responsible for making all of your members that's exactly what it says here where it says my substance your DNA yet being unperfect and in thy book what's in a book words Words made up of letters. letters all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned so when you study the process of DNA and how a human is formed there are certain aspects of the DNA that when it's read it literally contains instructions to create your bones like exactly the way that your DNA says. It, it has instructions about your eye color, about the shape of your nose, when it comes to how tall you're going to be, even to, in some extent, how long you're going to live, potentially, your different organs. You didn't, you, you start looking at all that, it's because of your DNA and it's made up of these letters. And so when he's talking about here, your substance being imperfect and in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. When as yet there was none of them, and then that's how you became to be. Because at one point, there was nothing. There was just your mom, your dad, and then all of a sudden, which you've seen this, and we will we'll see a video about it. It's really cool. They have taken it under a microscope that when you have an egg, and you have a sperm, and that sperm hits that egg and goes inside. The moment that sperm goes inside that egg, there's a flash of light. And John chapter 1 talks about that Jesus Christ, that he lights every man that comes into the world. That's why we believe that life begins at conception. So as soon as that happens, now all of a sudden the multiplication starts to take place of those cells. What tells those cells to multiply? DNA. DNA. It's your DNA. The book of you. This is incredible. So check out this video.
1: the same way. Two cells, one from each parent, found each other and became one. And that one cell reproduced itself, dividing, 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 until there were 10 trillion of them. Do you realize there's more cells in one person's body than there are stars in the Milky Way? But those 10 trillion cells aren't just sitting there in a big pile. They'll make for a pretty boring human being. So what is it that says a nose is a nose and toes is toes? What is it that says this is bone and this is brain? And this is hard. And there's that little thing in the back of your throat you can never remember the name of. Everything that you are or ever will be made of starts as a tiny book of instructions found to each and every cell. Every time your body wants to make something, it goes back to the instruction book, looks it up, and puts it together. So how does one cell hold all that information? Let's get small, I mean really small, smaller than the tip of a sewing needle. Then we can take a journey inside a single cell to find out what makes up the book of you, your genome. The first thing we see is that the whole genome, all your DNA, is contained inside its own tiny compartment called the nucleus. If we stretched out all the DNA in this one cell into a single thread, it would be over three feet long. We've made it fit in a tiny compartment that's a million times smaller. We could just bunch it up like Christmas lights, but that could get messy. We need some organization. First, the long thread of DNA wraps around proteins clustering to little beads called nucleosomes, which end up looking like a long beaded necklace. The mat necklace is wrapped up in its own spiral like an old telephone cord. And those spirals get layered on top of one another until we have a neat little shape that fits inside the nucleus. Wow, Three feet of DNA squeezed into a tiny compartment. If only we could hire a DNA to pack our suitcases? Each tiny mass of DNA is called a chromosome. The book of you would have 46 chapters, one for each chromosome. 23 chapters of your book came from your mom. 23 chapters came from your dad. Two of those chapters, called x and y, determine if you're male, xy, or female, xx. Put them together, we get two almost identical, but slightly different sets of 23 chapters. The tiny variations are what makes each person different. It's estimated that all the chapters together hold about 20,000 individual instructions called genes. out, right all almost 20,000 instructions are 30 million letters long. If someone were writing one letter per second, it would take them almost an entire year to write it once. But it turns out that our genome book is much, much longer than just those 30 million letters. Almost a hundred times longer. What are all those extra pages for? Well, Each set of instructions has a few pages of nonsense inserted that have to be taken up before we end up with something useful. The parts we throw out, we call introns. The instructions we keep, we call exons. We also have hundreds of pages in between each gene. Some of these excess pages are inserted by nasty little infections in our ancestors. But some of them are actually helpful. They protect the ends of each chapter from being damaged, or some help ourselves find a particular thing they're looking for, or give the cell a signal to stop making something. All in all, for every page of instructions, there's almost 100 pages of filler. In the end, each of our book's 46 chapters is between 48 and 250 million letters long. That's 3.2 billion letters total. To type all that copy, you'd be at it for over 100 years and the book would be over 600,000 pages long. Every type of cell carries the same book, but each has a set of bookmarks that tell exactly which pages it needs to look up. So a bone cell reads only a set of instructions it needs to become bone. And your brain cells, they read the set that tell them how to become brain. If some cells suddenly decide to start reading other instructions, they can actually change from one type to another. So every little cell in your body is holding on to an amazing book full of the instructions for life. Your nose reads nose pages. Your toes read toes pages. And that little thing in the back of your throat, it's got its own pages too. They're under uvula.
0: So there's a whole lot more details to go into that. That was just a short little quick hit. (laughs) But that is absolutely stunning to me. Like, that is absolutely stunning to me. And one of the things that's interesting about this verse... And how it's even written is the fact that, you know, it's quite possible. It's quite possible. I don't know for sure, but it's quite possible that verse 16, that your name that's actually written in the book of life is your strand of DNA. Because that's how God knows you. Because what about the children that are unborn or that have been aborted or maybe miscarried? They don't actually have names legally. In my mind, I always thought, yeah, when it comes to them, their names is written in the book of life, and God knew what they were going to be called. But actually, this is our name. Like, this is our name. Whatever this is, verse 16, this is our name. And so every human life that has ever been born is recorded according to God. In his book, it says, in thy book were all my members written. All my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So it's quite possible that that is the name that's written in the book of life. So it's interesting. This is a side note. It is incredible. And see, God's thoughts, his thoughts are precious of you and for those that are, then they are forever recorded. Take a look at verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. So when you start really diving into these details, you start to understand how amazing it is that you are alive and how that God created you on purpose, and how special you really are. So I hope you really believe that. Because if you do, then your reaction is verse 17 and 18. You understand that God's thoughts about you are precious, and you should want to know what God thinks about you. So because of all that, because of all that, there's two things. And this is the last part of Psalm 139. Because of all that, I should be madly in love with Jesus Christ. Because He's the one that made me. According to John chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1, He created everything. He is the Creator. So Jesus Christ made you, and He died for you. He knew how precious you are. He knew how special you are. He knew how unique you are. He knew the impact that you can make for all eternity. And that is why, one of the many reasons why He died for you, personally. Because He knows you that intimately. So when you read that, you start to see verse 19, and you can see how madly in love that David is, frankly, with God. Look at verse 19. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, ye depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred, I count them mine enemies. Now He's saying this because they're speaking against God, and he knows God and God's heart towards him. And because God loves him, he loves God in return. And anybody else that speaks poorly against God, he hates them, and he's ticked off at them. It's because he loves God. It's the same thing with any one of us. I mean, how would you guys like it? Like, think about someone that is like your best friend, or even like a family member that you care about deeply, that if they were gone, your life would be missing something. What if someone spoke poorly about them and just started railing on them? How ticked would you be? I know how mad I would be if someone started railing on my wife. I would be ticked because I love her and I care about her. And I don't want anyone speaking that way about her or even my kids. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. When you really understand the verses prior in Psalm 139, you're going to have the same hard attitude. You're going to be madly in love with Jesus Christ. And then Psalm 139, last two verses, 23 and 24 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So I should desire to be very submissive to His will for my life. I should, because I'm here for a reason, for a purpose. I may not understand it in the moment, but I understand, according to Psalm 139, that I am divinely designed by God. I know I am. You're not here by mistake. Things are nuts in our world today. I have no idea what's going to happen over the course of the next, gosh, days, let alone months or years. But I do know that God has put me here. He's put you here right now. And we're around people every single day that we can impact. It made me think about this picture. So it's just a normal water ripple. But I was just thinking about this because it's a lot like this. Like whatever we let in is going to eventually ripple out into our life. And this is why we need the Bible, because as I read the Bible and I get into some of these details, it gets me excited about my life. It gets me excited about what God wants to do and what he wants to accomplish. And then that affects everything else that I'm doing, because now that I've read this, I've studied it. And if I believe this with all my heart, then I'm going to start to see people around me completely different. Because literally everyone has value. And there's not a single person out there that God didn't die for. So I should treat them, not only with respect, but I should also share the truth of them if I have the opportunity. And I should be faithful to God because He loved them enough. God loved me enough to die for me. And He loved them enough to die for them, even while they were still His enemies. So this should start to change how we minister to each other, even how we are among each other. It should change everything. So the next time you start feeling kind of junky, flip your paper over. About those things you wrote down. Those things you're like, ah. Oh. Just remember, remember, it's not an accident. Do you realize that some of your weaknesses, God wanted you to have them, and do you know why God wants you to have some weaknesses? Anybody want to give it a shot? So he
1: can take you down if you mess <laughs>
0: up. Yeah, no. <laughs> so to keep you humble. Yes, to keep you humble, to teach you, to show you how much you need God. Some of your greatest assets that you have are your weaknesses and your failures. You just don't know it yet. You need to think about that one. Some of the greatest assets you have are those things that you want to desperately get rid of. The greatest mistakes I've made in my life have turned out to be some of the greatest blessings in my life. So you need to think about this stuff. This could change your life. This could change your life. Let's pray. God, help us to take these things. And like I said before, like I prayed before, that we would run with it. We would believe your word, that it would impact our ministry, that it would change us, and that we would um, strive to please you and to uh, bring you honor and glory. Um, and really, it starts off by understanding and believing that we have been divinely designed by you, that we are not a mistake, uh, that we are here for a reason, on purpose, at this time in history. And I pray that we would uh, really follow you wherever you lead us, just because of that, So help us, God. We need you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.